I feel like a horrible human being because I've eaten my fair share of Uncrustables, and I am not ashamed to say it. Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Paul. With me, as always, is the vice host, Leon Coventry. Leon! Danny! We're here again. Happy Thursday to you, sir. Happy Thursday to you. It is another week. Uh, you the probably week. can't hear it in the background, but it sounds like my house is going to blow over, Dorothy Gale style. We have one of the classic Maricopa County monsoons rolling through. Flash flood warning in effect from 6.45 to 10.45 p.m. And it is cats and dogs, my friend, lightning included. How are you doing out there in California? Dry. We need rain so bad. I, I cannot tell you the last time. I, I didn't realize it until I moved here from Ohio where it's just you get, you get rain a couple times a week, sometimes a couple times a day, even in the summer. And you definitely get the afternoon storms. So just to not have any rain ever, it's brutal. And everything is looking like, uh, you know, any hot match or piece of metal is going to light up everything in the mm. state. So I'm not surprised we're on fire. So, yeah, we could use some of that, year, rain. right? Yeah, is that, what it, is that what it said? 30 yeah, days? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's 30 days. At least Santa Barbara was 30 days a year. And that's pretty much it. Now, you might get a lot of it all at once, but it's, Typically 30 days. Yeah, a coastal yeah. desert. You know, you don't get uh it cooks up way too hot and Mother Nature has to correct itself, but she doesn't know how to be subtle. So right now we're dealing with uh a torrent. Yeah. So well, good times. Yeah, good times. I'm sure that'll be a mess to clean up in the morning. Yeah, yeah, for reals. Anyway, what's your brown for tonight, sir? All right, all right, all right. Tonight's bourbon is Long Branch, brought to you by Mr. Matthew McConaughey. All right. All right. That's what I like about those bourbons. I get older, and so do they. I presume <laughs> that's from Texas. It's, uh, it's, it's a wild turkey brand. And Ooh. if you read about it, Matthew McConaughey, he's definitely uh, trying to jump into the, the Clooney slash Ryan Reynolds slash Ooh. rock. This is this is his jump into the alcoholic world, and uh, he's branding it as a branch between uh, Kentucky and Texas. Wow. And Triple B got it for fifty percent off. So way to go, Triple B! Triple B, who's pushing fourteen hundred and eighty followers on the Instagrams. Well done, Triple B. She's crushing it. She, she is, is crushing, crushing it for real. She's actually right now doing a. Uh, a barrel test which is pretty damn awesome for old elk and uh you know they're doing like a vote to do a, a barrel pick and then we're going to get a couple bottles of that select barrel so fna exciting well yeah done well done so yeah long branch tonight uh it's not it's not bad i i, I think it's interesting that he sells it as, as hard as he does and that these are all the notes that he was looking for in a bourbon that could never find. That's his, that's his uh, sales pitch on it. So allegedly, look it up. It's not, it's not the most expensive bourbon in the world Long out branch. there. So I think anybody can get it. out in your AIR stream. You can make a margarita, knock your socks off, or you could reach for a bottle of Long Branch whiskey, my friend. All right, it's all mellow. right, all right. It's mellow and delicious, and I knew that you'd appreciate it being a McConaughey fan. That he drinks it after he takes a ride in his Lincoln. You know it. <laughs> what is your brown tonight, sir? Uh, I had the small batch Costco uh, bourbon that Triple B is fond of, and I had it on the rocks last week, so I wanted to try it neat this week because I'm due for a restocking of the uh, Bob liquor cabinet, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to figure out where I want to spend my precious ducats next. And mm -hmm. I think that uh, I've gone down this American route with you for a while, so I'm going to start going international. Next okay. episode, I'm going to go outside of the United States and I'm going to see what's available to us in our 
local watering holes and retail establishments. But for tonight, it is Kirkland's small batch bourbon of triple B fame for her thrifty Thursdays. Hashtag. What's uh, what, what do you think? Um, you know what? It's it's very mellow. I remember remarking last week on its very light color. So mm-hmm. to take it neat, it uh, it's got a nice hug. It's not not too overpowering. It doesn't blow itself out your nostrils. Mm-hmm. Um, it's charming to say the least, yeah. but it is mild. It's not, uh, I mean, you get what you pay for in the sense of, you know, some hugs are wow. Yep. This one is, uh, qualifies, I think for daily drinker status. Yeah, there you go. Good. I like a lot. Cool. Let's get into Brown news. This is the dark is Brown. You got, yeah, you're going to need a couple of things. You're going to need shot glass. And you're going to need some whiskey. And I got news for you. Today's brown news comes to us from the Whiskey Advocate. We probably need to find more sources, but the Whiskey Advocate always brings us the best content. So www.whiskeyadvocate.com. We will find some other sources for brown news later on in the season. But for right now, we're going to stick with a very interesting one we got coming in for you from June 2nd, 2021. James Bond and Whiskey, a long-running affair. Not to be confused with the martini, shaken, not stirred. The gin martini, I believe, is what's most popular, but you've seen in other versions. Apparently, Bond also uncorks champagne, sips some sherry, and winds down with some whiskey. Fun fact, in Ian Fleming's original books, Bond actually drinks more scotch and soda than martinis, with scotch just eclipsing the martini at a rate of 21 to 19. So I'm going to go ahead and say that this we have the resources in this world to research that, but we haven't cured cancer yet. I just want to call that out. <laughs> we are going through books and movies about Bond and counting how many times they reference different types of booze. That's what we're. That's where we are right now as a society, and I love it. That is amazing. I what a great party quiz thing to say because not one person would ever. Absolutely not. Never. That is the man with the golden gun is a global man, of course. He drinks mojitos in Havana. He's offered sake in Japan, and he knows exactly what temperature you're supposed to drink it. And for a European man, you are exceptionally cultured. So say his hosts from You Only Live Twice. Simply put, Bond makes drinking look and sound incredibly cool. His taste is exacting and at times infectious. In the 2006 film Casino Royale, he orders a martini with three measures of Gordon's gin, one measure of vodka, and a half measure of Kina Lillette, all shaken over ice and served with a thin slice of lemon peel. The drink, known as the Vesper, and invented by Fleming in the 1953 book of the same name, sounds so good that three of Bond's fellow card players call for it too, except for our friend Jeffrey Wright, who plays Felix Leiter. And what does he say? I'll have one too, friend. Keep the fruit. Fun fact for our also interested trivia. Magic 23, write that down. Initially, Bond was played by Scottish actor Sean Connery, who had several whiskey ties of his own. In 2014, Connery starred in an ad for Doers, in which he advised his younger Bond playing self to drink blended scotch instead of vodka. Decades earlier, in 1967, Jim Beam hired Connery to play Bond in a series of print advertisements. In one ad, the copy reads, The taste is distinctive. The man is Sean Connery. The bourbon, Jim Beam. Do you think that Sean Connery is more impressive than the guy who doesn't always drink beer, but when he does, he drinks is it Dos Equis? I absolutely is, think the Dos Equis guy is, is modeled after Sean Connery. Yeah. 100% hands down. Looks just like, okay. I was just making sure. I, I, I absolutely never thought I, I was until, in the room, so I wasn't part of the ad agency, but I hands down, absolutely, that guy's based on Sean Connery, without a doubt. Most interesting man in the world. I, I couldn't. Yeah. All right. Uh, while liquor can sometimes fuel Bond, he's also inspired a number of drink releases. Bollinger Champagne, which frequently pops up in his films, has a 007 limited edition. Belvedere Vodka, Blackwell Rum, Black Beaumore, 1964, which retails for $65,000, was made in conjunction with Aston Martin, which is celebrating the year of its DB5 car reached iconic status in Goldfinger. I got I to gotta pause here. Goldfinger is the best Bond. You know why? Because it has the best line in all of the Bonds. What do you think that Let's is? Let's hear it. 
You expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. <laughs> That's the best line in Bond. Well, if you think about it, go into all of the tropes about James Bond. Let me put you in an elaborately complex trap from which you will weasel your way out of and escape. No, I'm not done. I have to explain all of my plans for world domination. <laughs> in Goldfinger, Goldfinger says, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rule the world and you're going to die. See ya. You're not going to explain anything to me? No, no, I'm just going to kill you. Good time. Oh, that's funny. There's so many good one-liners. I, I, is this Connery your favorite? Oh, is that weird? Con- okay. Connery and everything. Connery and, and fucking Highlander. I, I'm going to give Connery the leg up too because he really did, I think, embody Bond. But I, I know this is a controversial take. I'm a Pierce fan, and it's really because when I was growing up, Pierce was Bond. So the idea of Bond being cool and and his take on Bond, and he's very uh, casual and almost smug. Uh, He wasn't nearly as badass. The Bond that we we have right now, what's his name? Or the one he, I think he heard his last one. Uh, He's probably like, I love Daniel Daniel Craig. Craig. Yeah. Daniel Craig is the most badass. Like, I don't know. Yes. I just wouldn't mess with him, right? For sure. Yeah. But um, uh, Pierce yeah, was big. certainly the silkiest. Like, that dude was Teflon. Everything about him was awesome. So I got to give mm-hmm. you that. Pierce Pierce was certainly the, the most posh and sophisticated of the Bonds. Uh, and you're right. And, and Daniel Craig is just a bruiser. Like, he's just, let's do this. I'm James Bond. I like yeah. Connery because I thought Connery was kind of an all-around... Uh, I don't have to work that hard to get laid. I'm James Bond. Oh, he's the cockiest, I think. Oh, absolutely. Like he was, yeah, there was no more confidence than Sean Connery's uh, Bond. And I, and I appreciated that. I heard Idris Elba was going to be the next Bond. Oh, would he I don't be know the that ever best Bond ever? Oh, God, he'd be oh, amazing. I'd watch that guy taking a dump. <laughs> uh, let's finish I, up this particular section. I would section not, 23. With, I would not. That, that was Danny. Your man. <laughs> Well, I, I would watch Ian McShane take a dump too. Like I, I would watch those guys read a shopping list. Like some, some performers are just like, whatever, dude, just sit there and talk to the camera. Tell me about the time you stubbed your toe and peed on your, on your kids. Like, just give me whatever it is that you want to talk about. I'm there for you. Danny, when you get really famous and you, you, you turn to what many celebrities are turning to, which is cameo, I expect you to do it on the toilet after this conversation. <laughs> Oh, and, and 23 if you want if you want a cameo uh let's let's call i mean your value is probably ten dollars right now let's be honest so you know if you want a ten dollar cameo from danny sitting on the toilet that we can make that happen danny paul in his sultriest movie voice on the toilet reading a shopping list it will be done you heard it first july 2021 uh let's close the segment out with your buddy brosnan in goldeneye easily top five Goldeneye. Yeah. Um, Bond visits M in her office, the new M, Jane, Dame Judy Dench. For a briefing on the stolen space-based weapons, M offers Bond a drink, to which the agent replies that her predecessor always kept a bottle of cognac stashed. I prefer bourbon. Ice, M responds. Bond agrees, and we see that M has a bottle of Jack Daniels on the cabinet behind her desk. Bond finishes the drink and leaves. Thank you so much, Judy Dench. You brought... German automobiles and American hooch to James Bond. <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's Goldeneye. You're saying that's also Goldeneye. probably one of the one of the best Bond games. I would actually say. Oh, absolutely, too. hands down. Especially yeah. like, like that game made the N64. Yeah, so that wraps us for Brown News. Brown. We'll be right back. And we're back. We're back. Let's get into business news. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. Today's brand news comes to us from the Washington Post. This is a reader submission, but I thought it was interesting because it was kind of a, kind of a Dear John asking the editorial columnist Carla Miller what her answer would be. And I think this kind of goes to 
a topical thing here. It speaks a little bit about misconceptions of what the bosses think, what exactly is the role of work, uh, why are offices important enough to be, why do offices need to exist, right, in the age of work from home, and a little bit into kind of topics of microaggression. And I have some thoughts on this, but I'd like to get your thoughts on it, Leon. Let me read the intro here. Report to work, quit, or be fired. Our boss just gave him an ultimatum. Reader says, I work for a company with 300 plus employees. One of the owners, who is also the chief operating officer, doesn't believe COVID-19 is a real threat, even though he had a mild version of it himself. Early in the pandemic, he allowed my four-person team to telework five days a week, but made clear that we would eventually be expected to come back to the office or go our separate ways. He ordered our small team back to work a few weeks ago. Two women, including me, are in our 50s or 60s with grown children. The other two women have school-aged children and are much younger. The owner allows the younger women to telework as needed, but not us older women, even though we can execute 100% of our duties from home. We expressed health concerns, and I confronted the owner about his discriminatory policy, but he says the only options are report to work, quit, or be fired. So am I the resident skeptic here? I'm going to go ahead and and take that card and say I'm the resident skeptic. I, I can't help it. But when I see these things, um, just when, when things sound too good to be true, it makes you go, hmm, I have to think about that. This one sounds almost too bad to be true. I, I, I have a hard time believing, you know, I've, I've been in leadership roles a long period of my life so far, luckily for me, uh, that I've had that opportunity, right? And I, and I know that when, it, it, these happen, people that get in leadership roles, Yes, you work very, very hard, but you also need luck. And I get that. I totally get that. Uh, so I was luckily uh, able to be in there. And while I'm in these roles, never are you thinking about, hmm, can I single out some of my older or uglier or you know, <laughs> fatter or frustrated or whatever employees and really twist the knife on them? Because human nature is... Honestly, you're not looking for conflict. So why would you purposely create a conflict? Nobody wants that, especially bosses. It's not a thing. But people will create a narrative. Again, this is me being a skeptic. This woman might be 100% right. But me being a skeptic to think, uh, why would anyone do that? So there there is more to the story. And no one ever asks the boss, you know, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why me? Are the one is the one you're picking. It, this this person's skill set and her uh, 50 and 60 year old friend's skill set. It may make more sense to be sitting side by side. I don't know her role versus the roles I'm talking about. And in I feel like we're only getting a part of the story. So just as I read that little piece, but I, I'm interested to hear how the response went. That that's my skeptic side. Uh, I share your skepticism because there's also some other things down here that denigrate the idea of at-will employment. Um, There's some other things here regarding the Americans with Disabilities Act or the Family Medical Leave Act. Um, You know, do your employees have diagnosed anxiety, PTSD, mental and emotional after effects from the pandemic? Lots of employees' personal situations have been affected by the pandemic, so employers may need to reset their expectations. And employees should be mindful that what they see as a new normal, their employers may see as emergency measures that were never meant to be permanent. So there are situations where coming back to a centralized location is necessary. A factory, we need to assemble things. If there is a place where you have to interact with customers, such as a retail environment or a showroom or any place where you expect people to come to you, yes, you need to be there for them. But if it's a nondescript office building somewhere where all of the work could be done over the internet, then yeah, there really is no reason for you to be in the office unless it's what I like to call surveillance management. And that's the part that bothers me. If this boss wants him there just to keep an eye on him, or he uh, issues performance measurement based on clock punching and whether or not he can just interrupt them whenever he wants, that to me is small-minded and the sign of a weak boss. If I, support, I support that 100%. I totally agree with you, Danny. That is small-minded. If small you can't minded, measure somebody's performance remotely, then clearly it's because you have to keep an eye on them. And you think that if they show up at 8 versus 8.05, that's a bad thing. Yet if they stay 10 minutes after work, again, you still get your net eight hours. So a lot of this has to do with bosses that say, no, I like collaborations. Well, collaboration means 
you want to be lazy. You want to just walk down the hall and interrupt somebody at your whim rather than being disciplined in scheduling a meeting or booking a site time. There are also right. lots of other ways where you can say, listen, you got to be online. You got to be online in Slack at the requisite hours. And if you set your status and you walk away from your desk, that's fine. But if you don't lock your desk when you walk away, we're going to assume you're there. And if we want to have a conversation, we're going to assume you're away from your desk. So it puts a little bit of personal responsibility back on the person uh, that's working for you. But I would make the case that there are enough productivity tools out there where you don't really have to have this conversation. If you have to be, uh, you know, if you have to be a watchdog in order to do your job as a boss, you're not doing a very good job as a boss. So that's why I thought this was kind of relevant to talk about. Uh, yeah, I mean, report to work, quit or be fired. It's like, if you want to get rid of that person to go along with your comfortable skepticism, then absolutely you, you make this a come back That's to right. work. That's make because you wanted to get rid of them anyway. Right. Well, let me ask you this. What's what would you agree that anybody with a business, their, their goal is profitability. I mean, really that's, that's their main goal. Yeah, sure. Safety, community, blah, 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 everything, all the other BS that, you know, you hear, you know, coming out of companies, but at the end of the day, they're, they're it's a business because the business tries to make money. Right. We agree on that. hundred percent. Okay. So is it more expensive or cheaper to have a brick and mortar office? Is it, is it more expensive? Is it, is it, increase overhead to keep an office? The answer is yes. I'll answer for you. You're, you're yeah. not quick on these. Yeah, Danny, well, I need you to be a little quicker on the button. It's the biggest so, waste of money. So if you're, if, if, if it's more money and you're, you, you are spending and it's an investment, right? We, when we use these terms in business and you buy me a stapler, so you're not buying me a stapler. It's an investment in the business, right? So, they're investing in this brick and mortar because they feel that this is causing a higher level of productivity, right? And I assure you, all the real analysts out there and bean counters have been figuring this out. Uh, they've had, you know, 18 months or so to try to figure out, are companies more efficient by working at home? Are we offsetting the cost of what brick and mortar could be, right? My former company was him and Han and whether or not they were going to build another building next door for the, you know, I think it was going to be somewhere between 13 and 15 million to put another building next door, not to mention running the building, having the facilities, people, all the maintenance that's required, all those things to have another brick and mortar building. You better, I'm not there anymore, but you better believe that that project's probably on hold because now they're probably trying to figure out, well, if we can do this with certain roles, uh, efficiently, we don't need this brick and mortar. So I would say to people that are, are critical of people coming back into businesses like this, just remember the invisible hand will always win. Somebody's going to step in and say, it's better for our business bottom line to have you here or not have you here. And it's not about vindictive behavior. Now I, I totally agree with you though, Danny, that it, it is, we are still dealing with old school mentalities and we're going to deal with that for a while. But this catalyst called COVID that fired everyone at home uh, that had the ability to work from home uh, is, is changing the game. Everyone knows it's changing the game and it's also changing the way people think about it. So I guess in a very, you know, make a short story long, I think what I'm saying here is, the bottom line matters to businesses. That will always win. And if it makes more financial sense to have you at home or have you in the building, inevitably that's the decision that's going to be made. And stop making it about you or personal or some other thing that it isn't. It's a business. A business is there to make money, period. 100%. Management by walking around is inefficient and cowardly. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week about Apple as having a bit of a fight with its employees about going back. That to me is strictly, we spent umpteen trillion dollars on this beautiful building. We're going to use this beautiful building. I don't think it has anything to do with anything else because the secret is either they're not putting any new products in the pipeline 
or they're complaining about a sunk cost in commercial real estate because Apple's revenue went up. They hit their $2 trillion valuation all during the lockdown. So it had nothing mm-hmm. to do with productivity in a centralized office. This has everything to do with, we paid a bunch of money, we got to get our money's worth, or the only way to get collaboration on new products is to have people working together, which means they got nothing in the pipeline and they're shit scared. Well, I was just going to say in all fairness, and I think it's probably the latter, in all fairness, we haven't seen the effect of COVID yet as far as productivity and and um, the ingenuity, I guess, mm-hmm. that could have happened in collaborative environments like that. We're not going to know the impact of that this year. We're not going to know the impact of that probably till next year or the year after, because that's when the gap hits you. It's, you know, it, Apple is releasing shit they made two years ago, three years ago. In a global supply chain droughts, yes. which have a typically nine to 12 month running cycle. So we're starting to see that now, but right. everything about Apple's product development cycle, I think we'll learn a lot about whether or not we see a complete drought at the end of 2022 if they have a 20 month product development cycle. So that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking is let's get them back because we're not making anything new or we have this gigantic building we have to do something with because they're, you know, the, the rents do. Danny, I heard a party crasher come in while we were, we were uh, pentofficating us. That is correct. Somebody the show, Mr. Jones has joined us. You caught most of this previous segment, my man. Do you have any thoughts on this boss who said to his employees, quote, work, quit or be fired? Uh, gentlemen, get to work. Yeah, let's get to work. Uh, nice to see you guys. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I I totally, uh, you know, I'm on board with Leon there. There is a, a lot of, uh, I just use the word in my field is collaboration is being lost by people working from home as much, but and eventually you kind of come to a stick in the middle of like, when is collaboration, you know, being lost and what can be accomplished at home. And so to the collaboration at Apple and your problem, your product, what we look at it, you know, call it the Christmas it's September of 2022. We'll see what that looks like. But uh, interesting. Uh, I think we don't know as to your point, what the actual impact of COVID is. I'm very interested to see how the lag hits us three years from now, because it, it's kind of how things always play out. You could see in business where you have this drop off of employee or direction and then you really see impact three years down the road so i I am you know very very fascinated to see kind of where this takes us but uh it's a very interesting time gentlemen in business uh it's unheard of unprecedented uh we haven't seen something like this in our level of commerce uh be so impactful i mean what do they need like five million chips so honda can get its cars back in service and get actual cars being bought. The demand is astronomical. Um, and the supply chain issues are all over the place. Uh, I was hearing today was like, there is only 385 containers in Los Angeles Harbor or something like that for containers to go out. But there's over 200,000 waiting on ships to come in. Hmm, there's, yeah. a shortage of, there's a shortage of drivers. There's a shortage, yeah, be a of, shortage of boats. No, it's not the boats. It's just like there's a short of labor. Just get container off ship uh, onto truck. Truck to yeah. it's it's it it all has kind of like trickled down to people either one I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go somewhere else, or people just not having to be able to fill positions. It's a real problem in the labor. The labor shortage in the U.S. is it's massive. So. I'm just saying that, like, in the world of shipping right now, it is a total cluster fuck. Yeah, I had to close a pool because chlorine's out, and yeah. my 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 HOA, uh, you know, they have five pools up in this area, and they sent out a notice that they had to close two of the five because of the chlorine shortage. There's just no chlorine. How how across is that possible? How's that possible? The world? Like, it's crazy. Um, like, I, that's that's to me. There are gallon jugs of chlorine and muriatic acid at our home improvement stores, but if you look at the products made from Clorox that are specific to shock and chemistry management, the shelves are bare out here. Mm-hmm. And you know how many yeah, pillars everywhere. are in Phoenix. Yeah, <laughs> it's hot. Sizzle the feet. Well, uh, you, Mr. Jones, you, uh, I, you logged in a little late, Mr. Jones. You need to know that it's my house may go to Oz tonight. That's how bad the storm is out here. We have oh. a torrent coming with serious wind and serious lightning. 
Oh, I did see that in the weather report. I did look to see what Phoenix was looking like. And I was like, uh, hmm. it's good times. We can hear it out the window. Wow. Mr. Jerems, I have a more important question than Danny's sure. question. And that is, what is your brown tonight? Oh, I don't. Sure. I, you know what? I don't have one. I will need I, to get back to I, you on that answer in hey! literally three minutes. Uh, you do not come on this podcast. How do you, a brown how do you log into this show and violate rule number one? It's in the name. True, but sometimes the start time of this show is not always exact. So I was thinking I may exact. be able to get in before it started, but I am wrong. I am, I am, I am a heathen at this moment, and I need to correct the problem. What I'm, what I'm hearing is boy. you're going to use your one "I'm a new dad" card right now, and you're cashing it in. <laughs> yep, boy, that's early. That's early in life. So uh, you're going to use that card. Say that until at least two. I love it. <laughs> Anyway, that wraps up business news. Let's go to Leon's favorite, the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. Yes. Today's crank file comes to us from the New York Post. Athletes to sleep on anti-sex cardboard beds at the Olympic Games in Tokyo amid COVID-19. Hmm. Lustful Olympic hmm. athletes should think twice before making the bedrock in Tokyo. The world's best sports competitors are set to spend their nights on cardboard beds, allegedly designed to collapse under the weight of fornicators to discourage the sexy time amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Olympic officials who already warned 2021 Games participants to avoid two-person push-ups because of the coronavirus have set up 18,000 of the cardboard beds in the notoriously sex-crazed Athletes' Village. Beds to be installed in Tokyo Olympic Village will be made of cardboard. This is aimed at avoiding intimacy among athletes. American distance is runner this, Paul Chalimo tweeted. This is fair. I mean, can we at least let these people who work harder than any of us, let's just be honest, they work, they wake up at the crack of dawn, they go run, they eat like, they drink like 20 raw eggs, they, they do shit that nobody would, they're finely tuned as highly finely tuned machines that exist on the planet and they are peaking at the right time. And we're saying, peaking. Hey, all you people that are peaking at the right time, <laughs> don't fuck each other. That's it's not it. fair. That's fair. There, this That's is not fair. one of two moments that I can think of uh, possibly a, a distant third of the world is going to end, but of the two moments when there is just nonstop unbridled fucking, one is the Olympic Village, and two are nursing homes. Uh, wait, there's a third. Wow. Burning Man. Oh. Yeah, but Burning Man is a planned event. Like, there's not a lot of spontaneity in Burning Man. You know why you go to Burning Man. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to push back on Burning Man. Not to say that there isn't a lot of, you know, yeah, yeah, let's let the man burn. But kind of, you know, you're hanging out. Everything's great. Like, hey, you're a pole vaulter. I'm a hockey player. What do you say we like that's serious business in the Olympic village, as well as in the nursing home. It is spontaneous. It is raw. It is natural because you're in that perfect situation of, Hey, you're uh, and I'm uh, right. what else are we going to do? Assuming that our, our wives don't listen to the show because we know they don't uh, let's, let's go ahead and say which athlete and I and don't go with the obvious one. Everyone's gonna say gymnast. Don't do that. Which, if you were if you were in that village, which athlete are you going after? I know which one I'm going after. I say, probably wouldn't go after the hammer summer. throw. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I gotta say the pole vaulter is just an easy go to. Yeah, pole vaulters are interesting, Mr. Jones. <sighs> Swimmer. Okay. Mine is the ski shooter. I don't, they're just hot. <laughs> it's the weirdest event. Uh, ski, and they get down and shoot. And I'm like, I, I, I'm going to check that box. There's nobody else the checked that Olympics? box. It, it doesn't matter which Olympics. That's what I said. Oh, that was part of the game. All right, all right. So I have to pick a summer oh, one? Wow, wow. We're in summer. Come on. Okay, I'll pick a, I'll pick a summer one. I realize Danny kind of set you up there because he's like a pole vaulter and a hockey player at the same time. Well, that's an interesting event. What the hell year are you speaking? <laughs> Two hands on well, the stick, I, people. Then I'm going to go with golf. I'm going to go with golf. Oh, not even at a sport. Well, there is also karate is. and surfing in this year's Olympics, and I think there might even be skateboarding. So there's a new there variety is. of peeps going out there. Ooh, how about fencing? But leave the outfit on. 
<laughs> no names, no faces. No regrets. <laughs> I'm God. <laughs> All right, so here's the thing. They, they do the beds out of cardboard. The idea is that the cardboard is supposed to collapse under the weight of two people, yet they are distributing a cache of condoms to these athletes as they have at every Olympic game since 88. This year, the condom tally is 160,000. Still, that's a far stat. cry from, wait for it, 450,000 doled out for the last Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. Who doesn't want to have sex in Rio? Just to say you did, if nothing else. Is this to reduce STDs? Because I really want these people to procreate. I mean, we need more superhuman people like this. Two Olympians making babies. It seems Our like it's better and for goal humanity. Is not for athletes to use the condoms at the Olympic Village, but to help with awareness by taking them back to their own countries. The Tokyo Olympics Organizing Committee said in a statement. And then there's a bunch of visual representations of the cardboard beds. At least two athletes have already tested positive for the coronavirus at the Tokyo Olympic Village. Another resident of the village, a visitor from abroad involved in the game's planning, was reported to have tested positive a day earlier. So, yeah, I get it. Hanky panky leads to the COVID, but. You're right. These are exceptionally physically fit people. They've got all kinds of chemicals running through their body, be it adrenaline, sweat, all kinds of stuff going on. And when you see another fit specimen of the human species, why not? Am I I'm right or am I right or am I right? I'm I mean, I mean, that to me is the true spirit of the Olympics, bringing people together, bringing the world together. And mm -hmm. what's more together than making sweet, sweet love on a cardboard bed? <laughs> no squeaky, squeaky. I got no argument. I got nothing. <laughs> Just. <laughs> All right. Next issue of the crank file comes to us from Reuters.com. This is a world article from the Asia Pacific region. No more Gangnam style in South Korea's COVID rules demand slower workout music in gyms. This one comes to us from, from the nation that brings you Korea. Plenty of gym goers rely on a good tune to get themselves through that workout, but in South Korea, their musical options have just reduced significantly under new COVID rules. To the standard restrictions, such as social distancing, travel curbs, South Korea has added a requirement that gyms do not play music with higher than 120 beats per minute during group exercises, such as aerobics and spinning. Health officials say the measures was intended to prevent breathing too fast or splashing sweat to other people while avoiding having to close such businesses entirely as they have in previous waves. The rule has invited ridicule from some opposition lawmakers who called it, quote, nonsense, unquote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And gym owners see the rules as barely effective or unrealistic to maintain. I don't this know about what you, happens. but me and Michael Bolton, all the way when I'm pounding out of set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's what i'm that's what i want to push to um it's this is this is asinine i think it's it, it's fascinating throughout this entire pandemic how people invent what is um actually helping the pandemic based on some fabrication they came up with their mind. It's yeah, like, a measure, you know, like how they measure something different now. They're like, oh, we're going to measure it this way. And by doing that, then they'll just cut this out and cut that out. And it's just asinine. But a lot of things are like also, uh, you know, as somebody trying to you know, run a business and knowing that I'm ultimately responsible and living in such a litig litigious state where everyone's looking for someone to blame all the time. You, 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 I do have these fears that, you know, should I require employees to have the vaccine? I mean, my, my principles say no. Right. But, it, but my business sense says maybe I have to, because well, I can get sued for it. A vaccine to get inside the door. So clearly it's not that much hype. No, but it's crazy though, right? Like it's the unknown that we could be liable for something that isn't even in existence or even agreed upon. That's for sure. So it, it's, it's, 
it's a weird time right now. And everyone's trying their best to show that they care and they're taking steps that they care. But some of them like this, like slowing the music down is completely asinine. Yeah, hey, that's, so a person is quoted here saying the regulations are just bureaucratic as if those who devised them had never worked out at a gym. And I, I wholly agree. You want to get your blood pumping, you want to get your heart rate up, you're going to want some fast, intense music. Uh, although to bring this one to a comfortable close, it says here, I, the tiger, satisfies the 120 beats per minute rule. So maybe there is hope after all. I mean, I need a little uh, Michael McDonald, please. That would really... <laughs> That would really help me on the elliptical. That ranks up the crank file. Let's take it to our next part because Florida. Because anything goes to Florida. Baby, let the good times roll. Because anything goes to Florida. Come on down and do your worst. <laughs> this week's Because Florida comes from some Axios.com. Capital rioter gets eight months in prison in the first January 6th felony sentence. That's right, people of all the different states that contributed to the people that broke into the Capitol and walked around with horns and waving Trump flags and some of them intending to do some serious harm to our elected representatives. The first one convicted is from Florida. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Sunshine State. 38-year-old Paul Hodgkins of Tampa. Tampa was featured on the Florida segment last week. Tampa always wins. Always. They're always winning. Stop winning championships. Yeah, Tampa Bay, for real. I believe it's their proximity to Clearwater. Paul Hoskins of Tampa was sentenced to eight months in prison Monday after pleading guilty to obstruction of an official proceeding, a felony charge stemming from his participation in the January 6th Capitol riot. Why it matters. Hodgkins is the first rioter to be sentenced for a felony, setting a benchmark for hundreds of other cases that prosecutors have brought against individuals involved in the Capitol attack. Randolph Moss said that Hodgkins actively participated in an event that threatened not only the Capitol security, but democracy itself. The judge said it was chilling that the pro-Trump mob was able to disrupt the certification of President Biden's election victory, and that Hodgkins' waving of a Trump flag on the Senate floor symbolized his loyalty to a single individual over the nation. It left a stain that will remain on us and on this country for years to come. Can I make a comment about this? It's not even a political comment. It's just where we stand as a nation right now. They're clearly insanely divided more than I've ever seen in my lifetime, but maybe I'm just at an age where I care about politics. I think when you're younger, you don't really give a shit. Then you get into this middle age where it matters a lot and you want to talk about it a lot. And then we started playing checkers or chess somewhere when we're older and falling apart and we, we venture out about things. But yeah, so we're in that state where we really care about politics right now. And it's worse than it's ever been. It probably isn't, but uh, I completely digress. But at the end of the day, I feel like we're going through all these motions, which uh, cost a fortune, right? We're going to we're going to imprison a bunch of these January six people, right or wrong. And then, if the next administration comes in and it's from the other side, they're going to pardon them all, and it'll be for nothing. It'll be not. It'll be like their records will be clear. So, it's all for show, and it's all for ridiculousness. And all of us are just supposed to stand by and watch the circus happen and where we could be taking this money and, and, and applying it to real things. I, I don't think you're in cancer. I, I, I hate cure cancer. Do anything. I'm just saying, I think it's hilarious how we all, we, we want these things to happen that cost money. And then we look over here and we go, where, where'd all our money go? Where we need to, uh, I guess we got to raise taxes. Well, then stop spending it on this bullshit, you know? So I don't know. Not that I don't think they shouldn't go to jail. I, I don't think you should ever rush capital. I don't think you should ever, you should ever throw a brick through a window. Uh, all those things. doesn't matter what it is. You know, don't don't damage shit. That's, that's my rule of thumb. Uh, and if you do, you should go to jail. But I'm just saying the reality is this whole thing becomes so political that all it is is just all of us watching a very high stakes game of people lighting money on fire and throwing out the trash. So that's my two cents. Hashtag don't damage shit. Don't damage shit. Jones, you got any thoughts on this? It's the beginning of a long process. I mean, obviously, this is the first one, first case, first first sentence. Yes, eight months jail, maybe call it 
jails are full. Maybe he serves three and a half, four. You know, it's uh, it's one of those cases where you know this is the precedent. We'll go then go on with there. There had to be some sense of consequence for the people that participated in this. Obviously, it's a select few. There's a lot more people that probably aren't getting it caught or have any circumstances that you know are in there. But a, a gentleman lost his life. Lady lost her life. Why is a lady? Yeah. Maybe I got that wrong. I don't know. I thought it was a female. There was a female that a female protester that was shot in the Capitol and then uh, yeah. Capitol oh, yeah, Police the Air Force Officer was girl. killed. Yeah, from Colorado. Yeah. I remember her. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, right there is is just senseless in my book. Absolutely. Building on that but, idea, it says federal prosecutors have described the Capitol riot probe, which has seen charges against over 550 people thus far, as likely the most complex investigation ever prosecuted by the Department of Justice. And to Leon's point, than Rico a lot of money. Or, yeah, a lot of money. A lot of a lot of money money. wasted on people that usually end up pleading guilty. So this is the other side here. Hodgkin's lawyers requested that he serve no prison time, citing his, quote, courage and, quote, strength of character in pleading guilty and accepting responsibility for his actions. Hodgkin spoke in court and said he was truly remorseful and regretful of his actions, suggesting he was caught up in an emotional protest and originally had no intention of storming the Capitol. Joseph R. Biden is rightfully and respectfully the president of the United States, he added. Well, smell your shit, sir. Oh, my God. It's the beginning of a long process. Yet still here in L.A., we're watching people just take handfuls of shit and just walk out of retail stores because you can't arrest them right now. That's, that's the way we live in right now. 20 individuals have pleaded guilty in the sprawling investigation, which has also netted conspiracy charges okay. against extremist groups accused of plotting the attack ahead of time. Uh, but basically, anybody that gets caught straight up rolls over. And so this was a magnanimous moment of striking at the heart of fraud and unrighteousness. And yet all these guys get caught and they roll over in an instant. So, well, I, I feel safer. Do you feel safer? Glad we spent, glad we spent $100,000. That wraps up the crank file. We'll be right back. Welcome back, gentlemen. We got to get to Leon Loathes. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Leon, the floor is yours. Okay. What's your fucking problem today? Let's let's talk about this because it's becoming more and more common. And I'm really happy you're here, Mr. Jones, because uh, I'd love your input on this. I'm going to pick on Chipotle because this is where it came up in my mind. I love Chipotle, but I want to ask who takes precedent? The customer that's standing in front of you, the customer that's on the phone or the customer that just did an online order. Because I stood there watching them make the phone order that called after I walked into the building and then pull a couple receipts off and make the things before they even asked me what my order was. Now, it's not its not fair. It's, I'm not picking on Chipotle, only that they are one that we all have probably been to and been through this scenario. And I want to ask anyone out there, who wins in this contest? The person there, the person on the phone, or the online person? Because I know where I stand. The fucking person that got their ass up and went to the store should always have precedent. And that person should fucking hold on the phone or that person, the online person should get pushed out until they have time to do it. And I'm one of those online orders. I do it too. I do it now because I was that person standing in the store looking like an idiot, waiting for them to take care of everybody else that actually wasn't staring at them like they're an asshole. You bring up a big point that actually I, I just experienced. percent believe. Yeah, I, I, I actually uh, did an online order. I hadn't been to Chipotle, which I call him Chipotle. <laughs> Sorry, college leftover. We we always thought it was shitty. Would you would you have a choice of let me go to Chipotle or go to Freebirds? The original Freebirds. Original. Mm-hmm. Not this crap that you see blanketed across yourself Preach. next to a, a habit. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the original approval and the original Freebirds and the original one in Santa Barbara. 
done. So it was interesting that I did an online order and I, my, my order was done within five minutes and the line was out the door when I went to pick it up. I'm like, well, well, I feel like a dick right now, but Hey, see you later guys. I'm done. Right. It's so I think there's kind of like a twofold question. Absolutely. I think you're right. It should be the people in line. I think for them though, they really struggled with the fact is that they really had a lot of bad PR. They had a bunch of problems and they've really stuck to this whole online order. When you go to Google and you put Chipotle down on your phone, the next thing it says online or immediate, not even where is it, not location, not, you know, anything about the company. It's online order. They are all about pumping through these online orders because they figure people are just don't want to take the time and they don't want to serve you either, which is why I don't like their company. But I, I picked on Chipotle and that wasn't fair, but I used them as the example that brought it to my mind that I said, this is the thing I'm going to talk about on the show. I've, mm-hmm. I've experienced it at Jersey Mike's. I've experienced it at a place called Bibby Bop. They don't actually have it here, but they have it uh, back in Ohio. It's a, it's like an Asian version of Chipotle where they make Asian dishes, but there's a lot of different places that do this that hey Starbucks, right? Mm-hmm. You go into Starbucks and people do the mobile order. God forbid you're the person who just walked in and then they took on like six mobile orders and your drink will get ready when they fucking get to it, even though you're standing there looking at them. I, I don't know. It just frustrates the hell out of me. I think that there should be a line of priority and the people that are standing in the store should always be first. And then you need to go down the line. That's, that's my two cents. Fast food establishments, the drive-through always had priority because you could satisfy more customers per hour. And so that made sense because you could satisfy a customer in the drive-through and they're gone. The person standing in front of you made a physical commitment to come to the store. They're making the store look busier. They're making the business look successful. So they absolutely should take precedence over phone or internet. And when you call a place on the phone and they don't answer, your number one thing that should pop in your mind is, oh, they're busy. Yes. So the idea of an email order is nice, but the email order says, great, we've got your order. We'll let you know when it's ready. Right. Or they give you that inflated 35 to 40 minute target because at some point the rush is going to go down and you're going to have a moment to spare to take care of the internet orders. But anybody that mm-hmm. suggests that the internet order should jump the phone or the in-person order, I agree with you 100%. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. If, if everyone feels the way we do, why do we keep putting up with this bullshit? I say we rise up. We rise up against this. <laughs> Let's get shirts. I don't know if that helps. I'm for it, though. I'm, the God damn it. I'm in line, you're not. <laughs> Thank, you for letting me. Thank you for letting me that. I feel better. As always, Leon, your anger is inspiring. Gentlemen, that's our show. Do you have any parting thoughts? I think uh, I have gained enough weight that I'm ready for a backpacking tour with Mr. Jones. I'm in because definitely after this last week, I feel the exact same way. And that Peloton is going to get used. Hey, dad, Bob, (laughs) dad, Bob's are in. Uh, Oh, you want to be my friend on Peloton? Yeah. Alas. (laughs) Special thanks to friend of the show, Mr. Jones. Thanks for showing up, buddy. Hey, good to see you, gentlemen. This was always a nice fun. Was a pleasure. Good to see you. That'll wrap us up for the evening, boys. <laughs> see you next time. Until next time. Stay out of trouble. Bye. This place is dead anyway, man.